This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks our dedicated books and comics show here on the network i'm your host matthew rushing and with me as he is always is dan gunther dan um so how are things going up there in the frozen tundra are they not so frozen anymore or well i gotta tell you we had a a couple of days of uh over 20 degrees uh which is celsius so that's that's not cold that's rather nice um but then today we just got some really freaky bad weather overcast started out as rain and then turned into this really weird kind of solid white rain that was actually in flake form. Uh, so that was not fun. And what do they call that? Isn't there, a, there's a name for that, I think. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Cold, hard rain. Probably I think. just like uh, flaky rain. Yeah. Flaky rain. That's. Yeah. That's, yeah. So. Because the weather flaky well, is a really good way to describe <laughs> how it's been. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, that sounds like some old school Texas weather where at one moment we would be, you know, up in the 70s and then or, or you know, whatnot, even higher. And then, you know, a few days later it would be snowing. Mm-hmm. So. I completely understand that craziness. Well, I I hate to brag, but the weather here is we've just been fantastic. In fact, last weekend uh, we were out and about uh, in downtown Seattle, and it was just oh so gorgeous. And um, so, I mean, I don't want to brag, but I guess I am bragging. <laughs> yeah, it kind of sounds great. like bragging, but uh, <laughs> that's allowed. <laughs> I, I've been to Seattle a few times, and I love the weather uh, on that whole west coast there. It's just gorgeous. So. It really is. Um, you know, we do get our rain, but uh, that rain really creates a beautiful environment and uh, it, it creates amazing places to go outside. My wife and I uh, went to a, a park, a Discovery Park there real north of Seattle, and the bay was just beautiful. You could see Rainier, uh, you could see the Olympic Mountains, and it oh, was just, just really fantastic. There were a ton of boats out that day, too, because it was a great windy day as well. So, uh, yeah, I had a great time um, and just can't complain about uh, where I live anymore. Yeah. Um, that sounds amazing. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, before everybody's like, is this like weather.fm? No, <laughs> you're you're here on Trek FM. This is Literary Treks. And we actually do have um, just a little bit of news to talk about. Uh, no book covers or anything like that have come out. But 
we wanted to cover ongoing number 44, uh, the second part of the Eurydice series, which is going to be three parts. And uh, we had talked about issue one already, and we're finally going to dive into issue two here. Now, if you haven't read this, um, you know, we, we're going to talk about it a little bit. So um, if you don't want to be spoiled at all, just skip ahead to the feature. But um, Dan, uh, you know, we're, we're in the middle part here. And what did you end up thinking about this second part of this series? I mean, for the listeners, we're in the Delta Quadrant. The Enterprise has been thrown there by this giant star-eating machine thing that they had come up against in Behemoth, and their dilithium is shot, and uh, so they are trusting this alien to take them to a trading world, and that's kind of where we had, had left off with part one, with the realization, because of the last panel, that Eurydice wasn't all that she was cracked up to be as a good Samaritan. Yeah, Matthew, I, I really enjoyed this story. Uh, I I like that they're stretching this story out a bit more than the behemoth uh, kind of two-parter was. Uh, we're learning a bit more about this person, the area of space she inhabits, and, and the kind of characters we're going to be uh, experiencing in this story. Some really cool visual effects I noticed in this mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. story was really cool. Uh, one thing that I noticed is right at the very beginning, the previously on Star Trek blurb, it says the Enterprise finds itself adrift in the Andromeda galaxy. Now, I don't, I, I don't recall that. I was pretty sure, like you said, they're in the Delta Quadrant. So uh, some interesting little crossed wires there. But uh, the story itself, excellent Great visuals, like I said, and and I'm I'm kind of digging this dynamic with the characters and seeing what happens next. Yeah, it is really interesting to see uh, the specifically the visual you talked about the uh, beaming visual mm-hmm. that they have for Eurydice's um, transporter is really really cool. We've never seen anything like this in Star Trek, and it has this very weird lined effect on them, and it kind of like breaks them apart in lines almost like you it feels like something you might see in Tron almost mm-hmm. with, if somebody's like decompiled or something yeah um and it's it is really really fascinating um I feel like maybe the effect of uh Riker and the world's shattering in the episode frame of mind but even oh, more yeah, yep, geometric yep. and angular and digital yes. looking than that mm-hmm. you know it's pretty mm-hmm. cool yeah um <laughs> it is kind of funny that uh you know uh, Kirk beams over to her ship to have this conversation and the line is still open to the bridge and they get a little bit close. There, there's no kissing or anything, but they, they get <laughs> a little bit intimate. And I love Uhura's line. Do you think he knows the comms are still open? And Spock says, I do not believe that is a concern to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of love that. And almost just a little bit of an, anno- of an annoyed look on Spock's face, as annoyed yes. as he can become kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, I thought that was really, really funny. Um, <laughs> well, what did you think about this place that they end up? Um, it, it's this large asteroid field. So it, it kind of was reminiscent of something from Star Wars it kind of felt like and then at the same time there's a city in a hollowed out asteroid but it's 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 more than just hollowed out it's like it looks like pac-man's mouth (laughs) has a city inside of it Mm -hmm. and it's the visuals in this are just fantastic i think i mean 
it is really amazing. And then, you know, they're down on the planet and all of the the aliens and everything that they create for this part of space are just it's it reminds me kind of a of a most icely cantina kind of scene. Mm-hmm. Again, to reference Star Wars, because I feel like it's the only thing we've really seen in in any kind of sci-fi that you just have those outlandish type of aliens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the visuals, the the imagination that's going into this is just really cool. Um, you can tell that, you know, the artists and they're pouring everything into this saying like, oh, you know, what would be cool is something that looks like this. And of course, with the unlimited uh, ability of a comic to just be able to show whatever you want, they're really getting a chance to kind of stretch their creative muscles here. And, and it's beautiful, like you say. Well, I I love, obviously, we already knew that Eurydice was going to be a villain. And they go before this council, and it's basically turned out that she has sold them to the council um, as as a payment of some kind of debt. And that is basically where we we leave the issue. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm very interested to see how the crew is able to get out of this. And it made me wonder if in some way Eurydice was going to have a change of heart um, to help them, because that's usually how this kind of story would go, mm-hmm. or if it's just going to be the ingenuity of the crew finding a way to get themselves out of it. So I'm just kind of not sure exactly which way they'll go at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, they've kind of built up Eurydice as as a character that has some, you know, she feels bad about what she's doing, or or so she says, and I believe her. And uh, I could see her character having kind of an arc where she comes around and, and helps the crew. Uh, hopefully that happens, because I kind of like this character. It'd be kind of neat to see more of her on, you know, the side of the Enterprise crew, so. Well, I think it would be kind of neat if, um, you know, maybe it took them a while to get out of this side of space, and so maybe she... Turns out to be the Neelix of the series, but less annoying and <laughs> obviously more good looking. Um, so I just think that would be kind of cool to, to see that kind of play out. Maybe that Voyager-esque type of thing where they're having to try and get back to their part of space. They need a guide and she fits the bill. Now, I just think that would be a really neat storyline and because that would mean her character would get to last longer than just this series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That would be that would be a pretty neat way to uh, to take the story or maybe, you know, I, I don't know, thinking long term, making her uh, kind of more regular face. Maybe she comes back with them. I don't know. It could be pretty cool. I mean, yeah, she becomes part of the crew. That might be kind of cool as well, you know, um, especially if um Maybe they want to keep them in this part of the galaxy for a while, and you know, maybe until they lead up to Star Trek, what we think might be called Beyond at this point. We're not sure yet. Um, that's the rumor. So uh, who knows? Uh, but uh, I like I like this series. I think it's interesting. They've set up a really interesting storyline so far. And I'm just hoping that the payoff is as good as the setup because I, I guess, you know, in any comic or any story, it it's great when you set something up. Um, but if you don't follow through in the end, uh, that's where we get frustrated as fans. So, I'll yeah, I'm definitely interested to see where this goes. For sure. Yeah, as far as like an original story goes too, I have to say this feels very fresh. It feels original. It doesn't feel like we've seen this before. So... 
uh, I'm I'm on board. I'm enjoying it. Dan, I am excited because we took a week off of talking about the Gold Key comics so that we could cover Rising Sun, and we're back to covering the Gold Key comics, and it's nice to be back in the saddle again here with the Gold Key series, and, you know, it was interesting because the first three issues really had this feeling of something that somebody wrote that only had the very bare minimum understanding of anything Star Trek whatsoever. And really, it was just, it looked like the ship, and it semi-looked like some of the characters, but pretty much that was about it. And so covering these these next three issues, it was interesting because some of what we know of Star Trek in the series kind of starts to bleed through at this point. Yeah, it feels like it's kind of starting to creep in. Again, you know, there's enough differences that I'm I'm thinking they still haven't really seen, you know, an episode or maybe maybe they've seen one episode or something like that by this point, but maybe their uh the resources they have are becoming a little bit more plentiful, maybe they have more pictures to work from, more character descriptions, that kind of thing, because it's it's starting to get a little bit closer to the Star Trek we know from our television screens. Again, not quite there yet but uh it's it's getting close i almost feel like they're wanting to keep kind of the unique look they've gotten as well but still trying to transition a little bit into you know the actual star trek it's still very much a pulp take on star trek Mm -hmm. you know like a, a five cent novel kind of take on star trek with the most outlandish things you've ever heard of and you know, I think to kind of reference something we talked about the last time we were talking about these comics is that, you know, without the philosophy of, of Roddenberry plus the realism that they tried to root the science of the show in as much as possible, obviously they make up outlandish, ridiculous things all the time on the show. And yet there was a plausibility and a believability to a lot of what they did because it it felt more like an extrapolation to the future, like pure science fiction, like a Jules Verne type of novel, mm-hmm. than those pulp novels that you would just get the you know the five cent copies of of something um at, back in the day, you know, back in the thirties and the forties, right. Captain and Proton, fifties, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instead of of it being a Captain Proton, you know, Star Trek had this reality. And this, again, it felt like a Jules Verne type of series to where, you know, so many of the things that he talked about in his novels actually we have today. Mm-hmm. Star Trek, same thing. So many of the things that Star Trek did, we have today. Cell phones, iPads, you know, computers that fit in the size of our hand. I mean, Star Trek, even these days, you know, especially the original series, looks silly to us, you know. <laughs> We don't use data disks anymore. You know, we have thumb drives that are literally the size of our thumb. So, yeah, um, yeah it's it's um, it's a really interesting just thing to see where sci-fi was at this point before Star Trek came along and kind of really revolutionized what we think of as science fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Star Trek really was something that no one had ever seen before. Uh, and... With the exception of, like you say, Jules Verne, it was really following, I think, in his footsteps and 
those sorts of ideas, like you say, an extrapolation rather than, you know, trying to do something over the top and outlandish, like huge adventure tales, but just told in space with, you know, fantastical things. And, you know, like we, like you say, we see this in this comic with, you know, you have something amazing or whatever, some technology, and you just put the word space or stellar in front of it. And yeah, it really feels like that old pulp science fiction. And, but, you know, they're getting cl- a little closer to, to Star Trek as we know it. Well, the very first issue that we're going to cover is called The Peril of Planet Quick Change. <laughs> and I'm loving these titles. <laughs> I know. it's It really is fantastic. I And again, you could just hear that announcer voice, you know. And welcome back to another episode of Star Trek. The Peril of Planet Quick Change. <laughs> quick change, quick change, quick change. Yeah, it's it's hysterical. And even just what that's the thing I love about these comics and and it's what keeps me um enjoying them really is the fantastical art that they have that goes with it. You know, um these people had wild amazing imaginations that are creating us and that's what I think is so much fun because it is outlandish and it is crazy and it only has Star Trek in the name, really. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's it's still, I find, fun to read to kind of see how people thought of the idea of space travel. And what I love is in this comic, very first page, why is Spock using a drafting board? <laughs> Absolutely. This... There's so many little things like this, like this in these comics. Um, it's just, I think I mentioned the last time we talked about these, like you just expect to see some sort of um, really old technology, like old to us now, especially uh, nearly 50 years after these comics were published. Uh, you just put the word space in front of it. And it's like, it's not a drafting board. It's a space drafting board. You know, that, that's futuristic. That's cool. <laughs> it, it works perfectly. I mean, of course it's a space drafting board. He's using it on another planet. Well, yeah. So it it, it at least had to travel through space to get there. <laughs> <laughs> Can you use but your he... drafting board on, a, on another planet? I think not. Well, this is clearly better. <laughs> <laughs> and he even has, like, protractors and, and, and all of these things he's using to, like, use actual paper to draw things out on and do calculations with and it just it cracks me up because (laughs) it's so funny um but this comic is is kind of interesting because they're cruising through space and they come across this planet where apparently its chemistry is changing every five to ten minutes so that means that mountains form you know deserts form deserts form and with mountains or trees or i mean it's the most wild thing ever it's almost like think of it being like a changeling planet but Mm -hmm. there aren't changelings it's just basically the planet doing it yeah i had that thought as well kind of the whole changeling idea (laughs) yeah um so what i love here too is that they're uh, observing things and there, the planet is changing from organic to inorganic reactions on the planetary chemistry chart, whatever that means. 
Um, that's what I love is that the techno babble here is even more insane mm-hmm. than the techno babble in Star Trek, the original series and beyond. It's just fantastic. Definitely. And of course, we've got the uh, teleport teleportation chamber back again as well. Um, I'm still kind of loving this design, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I think it is really cool. It's, it is very cool. And the reason that they're going to actually travel to this dangerous planet that keeps changing every five seconds is that there is a special mineral on there called titanium that can apparently propel a spaceship for a year. It's the most precious metal in the galaxy. And I love this too. Rocket power on full. Let's sail in close and get that palpitating planet a telescope at once over. <laughs> I really love I really wish they talked like this on the series sometimes. I know. <laughs> it's like full rocket power. <laughs> Uh, the, that palpitating planet. I feel like there's a lot of alliteration in these as well. There really is. There really is. It has, again, it's just so pulpy. It's fantastic. So they beam down to this planet and a place that they think is going to be safe, where apparently, I guess, Spock has been able to calculate there aren't going to be any changes. But of course, the minute they land there, things start changing right in front of them and mountains keep forming. And then... The weirdest thing is that as the planet's changing, man-made objects are appearing, which is very strange since who why would they call them man-made objects when it's wouldn't it be alien-made? Yeah, I've I've noticed that a few times too where they they refer to aliens, I think in previous in some of the previous issues as human beings outright. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, hmm, okay. Well, and it's crazy, too, because as they're just kind of standing around looking at this stuff, these blobs of light emerge from these ruins, and and they start attacking them. And, of course, what's the first thing you do, Dan? Well, of course, you uh, try and shoot them. I mean, what else would you do? Something unknown? Well, that's weird. We have to shoot it. Yeah, because if we can shoot it and subdue it, then we could probably talk to it. Right. Um, Yeah, you got to be – you shoot first, you ask questions later. That's Federation law number one, right? We come in peace, shoot to kill. That makes sense. (laughs) Or at least shoot to maim so we can just talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all of these lights keep surrounding them. They try to get them away. Shooting them doesn't work. It has no effect, and then all of a sudden they just disappear. And they are going to mine this planet. And then all of a sudden, Spock just starts acting very, very strangely. And Kirk really doesn't think too much of it because maybe he just thinks maybe it's just kind of his Vulcanness. But he pulls out the old trusty drafting board and starts <laughs> ordering them to bring down all of these things uh, one atomic rocket, four steel girders, and all these other things. And they start beaming it all down. Yeah, no, this is a. I I found this kind of a little odd. I feel like on Star Trek, anyway, Kirk would kind of give Spock a little bit more leeway um, than he gets later. Although, I don't know, he lets him get away with a lot of things. I also think Spock wouldn't be quite as affected as he is in this story either. But uh, again, you're not. They don't have a lot of references, so. That's forgivable, yeah. for sure. Well, apparently this is really just the original Spock's brain. Ah, uh, yes, so I can see that. I think that's <laughs> it. Um, but 
I, I gotta say, don't you love these like really large vehicles that the Enterprise beams down? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they're they they certainly look a lot more useful than that Argo thing in in Nemesis. I would say <laughs> they literally just beam down these tank like vehicles and I, yeah i had no idea that they had these on board the enterprise but apparently uh you know you've got at least four or five of them oh yeah i mean you know don't you remember all those shots of the shuttle bay and they're just kind of sitting in the background there yeah absolutely i i i'm sure they have them all the time Cough it's a nice off. color of kelly green too ah yes the return of kelly green that's right <laughs> <laughs> well spock it turns out has been infected by these beings, these light beings, and they tell him the story of what happened to their planet, and their planet had been hit by a meteorite, which caused this huge chemical reaction, and it it created this this like vaporizing effect on everything, and it actually caused the people to kind of like vaporize and turn into this strange ethereal light type creatures and basically their plan is to get Spock to use a missile to shoot into the core of the planet and release this mist that is going to bring the people back somehow. (laughs) Does that make sense to you? Uh, well, it's kind of all over the place a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit out there. I kind of, I don't get the leap where they make, you know, that'll bring everything back. And, you know, when when it does it, they're like, oh, the buildings are all back too. Neat. I wasn't expecting that. Cool. And they just kind of gloss over that. And it's 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 a little weak, but I mean, it, it, it goes with the story. Well, <laughs> this this vaporizing mist comes out of this explosion and yes everybody just starts to reappear and not only do the people reappear and the planet stops changing but entire cities all of a sudden just disappear (laughs) as if they had been caught in some like quantum other universe or something and just you know were phased back into the space-time continuum that would make sense (laughs) this mist kind of magically bringing everything back is weird. Well, I just I I love what he says exactly. <laughs> it is our town of Hidena, as we were vaporized by the poisoned meteorite, so it was too. And now as our chemical antidote mist has materialized us, Hidena also is returning. So this this healing mist is is healing their city because it disappeared the same way they did, I guess. Makes complete sense. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Totally <laughs> makes sense. Well, um, you know, they leave uh, the 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 planet, uh, the Enterprise crew, and they're excited, thinking they've done well done job. I mean, we're saving people now. We're not just destroying planets anymore, which is really nice. And um, they get back to the Enterprise, and Spock's acting ah uh, really weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just. He can't even write on a on a piece of paper to tell Kirk what's going on. And he they send him to sick bay, and <laughs> I just love his solution because it actually this is a Star Trek thing, and it starts to make sense. So this being is still inside of him and wants to be able to use his body as a host. 
so that it can travel the galaxy. And, of course, Spock is completely against this. And he uses the transporter to separate himself from this being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was that was interesting, kind of, uh, kind of doing the transporter separating two people or or transporter fix at the end of the episode kind of before star trek itself really did it which is kind of cool i think it it is something that it it's one of those things that it it feels like a star trek solution Mm -hmm. and then i do like the end as well because mccoy is ribbing spock about being a vulcan and, and being unstable and then spock says back Dr. McCoy, it seems to me you Earthmen can achieve instability even without a machine. <laughs> it was a very perfect Spock-McCoy banter. Uh, it was. <laughs> well, what's great is it, it's, yeah, it's spot on. And, and those are the kind of things that are kind of starting to leak through here in the series. It's almost as if maybe they haven't seen the show, but that they have had maybe seen um, some of the scripts Mm -hmm. a little bit or something because that kind of stuff starts to leak through the the differentiation between Spock as being a Vulcan that there is something that separates him apart than he's just an alien that it's his Vulcan-ness that does Mm -hmm. and a little bit of that banter which is kind of nice yeah it's very cool to see and again I don't like you said they're maybe seeing some scripts and that sort of thing but it's it's really amazing just how spot on they got that. It was yeah. it was perfect. It it feels like it could be at the end of an original series episode. Definitely. I I loved it. The next issue is called The Ghost Planet. Dun, but dun, I just kind of th- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Dun, dun, dun. But I thought it should be called Rainbow Rings of Death. Ooh, I like that. Where where were you when this was being made? I know, I know. Oh my gosh, this <laughs> this one is probably got to be some of the most outlandish that we see. And oh man, Dan, I I reading this today, I had such a good laugh at parts of it, like literally laughing out loud to myself at the issue. And mm-hmm. and again, like I'm not. We're not making fun of it. I think what's just enjoyable about this is the goofiness of it, Mm -hmm. you know, and that that's what there's so much joy in that goofiness. And that's what I just love about reading this. Like, even if I wasn't doing this show, I would still have want to have gotten this and read it. Oh, I think that's what's so much fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. If it were just kind of. I don't want to say generic Star Trek adventures, but, you know, more typical Star Trek adventures, would we necessarily be so keen to to go back and, and read this so carefully this time around? Because, you know, it, it's these differences and it's they're, they're delightful and they're kind of fun. Uh, I, I'm really enjoying the quirkiness and outlandishness of this. It's it's really what's making this the most fun for me at this point. Well, I love that this issue starts with them flying towards this this ringed system. Um, it, it kind of has the rings of Saturn, and yet they are rainbow rings. And I wasn't sure if Rainbow Bright was going to show up, <laughs> um, but I wouldn't have been surprised. And they decide this needs to be investigated. Mm-hmm. And I love that as they close in to investigate it, they... 
So they say, however, there will be turbulence. Secure seatbelts. And I kind of thought, oh my God, seatbelts. <laughs> what a great idea. <laughs> Apparently the Enterprise originally had seatbelts. And then I guess in TOS, they just weren't supposed to be installed until Tuesday. Ah, that's And the then, of course, you know, they left and, you know, they just never came back to that side of the galaxy very much. So, <laughs> um, but I, I do love this, too, because you get some of those uh, fun descriptions. Two lunar miles. <laughs> I, I love that. They just start adding the strangest things the the the, the new planet they find. Great Novas! You are correct, Mr. Spock. A, a brand new planet locked behind those rainbow rings. <laughs> and then they're picking up something called radioactive impulses from it. So, some very a very mysterious <laughs> planet indeed. It yeah, it is it is crazy. And but they um, can look at it with their telescopic view camera. So yeah, exactly. Well, and they they notice that there's basically just a ghost town down there like there doesn't seem to be there but did you notice this ghost town looks a little bit like new york like is that the empire state building kind of looks like it and uh yeah. when they actually um i should say teleport down uh the building yeah, they teleport but they, they actually call it the transport chamber this time oh that's true too yeah aha they're they're getting the right terminology there well, yeah, I love that. <laughs> well, they beam down in front of this other, another very familiar building, and that building is actually the City Hall of Toronto. I, I don't know if you recognize that, but that's the really? Toronto City Hall. Yep. No way. Yeah. And it's actually that's crazy. It's kind of cool. It's actually been used in a lot of science fiction before because it's it's a pretty cool looking building. And this is just, you know, a little bit of trivia here. The Next Generation episode, Contagion, with the Iconian gateways, uh, as the different locations flash through in the gateway, one of them is mm -hmm. Toronto City Hall. So oh, wow. apparently that the Iconians visited Earth. Well, <laughs> it is it is funny because they land in front of Toronto City Hall because apparently this is some sort of Earth planet. Yeah. Um, it just got lost somehow. And suddenly... This speaker box just starts talking to them and tells them that a transport is going to be en route for them. And they're looking around and, you know, obviously this, this planet kind of looks like some sort of holocaust has happened. They have no idea what's going on. And a transport shows up and, well, of course we just get on it. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that makes um, sense. <laughs> and and then they're met by Satan's robot, which is great. <laughs> intruders. 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 <laughs> wanted him to say that it's so awesome um and and what i love is they finally give the language that the universal interplanetary language yes the universal interplanetary language of esperanta uh makes its debut here i don't know what that means is it some form of spanish i'm not sure um it's yeah <laughs> but at least we know that esperanta is what we're going to be speaking Mm -hmm. in the future so see i kind of love it because they they've thought of some of these problems like okay so they're going to alien planets how are they going to talk to people and of course star trek came up with the idea of the universal translator but you know these guys came up with their own kind of solutions like oh well there's there's a universal language that everyone speaks like, yeah, and it's called esperanto Esperanza. i mean that makes yeah. sense like in star wars we talk you you talk basic yeah you know, exactly. or um in in um 
Star Trek, it's Federation basic. Yeah, you know, Federation like, standard. Yeah, which or, is yeah. basically just English. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's Esperanto. Yeah, but it, amazingly, if you're in Germany, it's German. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Well, they they get escorted by Satan's robot. I mean, the robot. Right, right. And he asks them to sit down where a big TV screen is in front of them, which looks very much like the TV screen. I mean, the view screen from the next generation. And <laughs> these two floating heads come on and introduce themselves, and they are the twin supremes of planet numero uno. <laughs> I am Justin, and I am Justin. We rule together. I'm Justin, and this is my other brother, Justin. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> oh, God. This is my brother, Daryl. This is my other brother, Daryl. Exactly, exactly. Well, and, I mean, they're on planet numero uno. Oh, yeah. So maybe they do speak Spanish. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just love it. Well... It's fantastic because these floating heads tell them that they were in a terrible war with each other and that just a lunar sun ago, which who knows what that means, <laughs> um, this terror, this rainbowed terror, this rainbowed ring of terror starts forming around their planet and it drove all of their ancestors to quickly build these space stations that they could live on. Unfortunately, they got to the space stations and realized that they hadn't made them big enough, so population control was automatically a thing. And they basically asked the Enterprise for help. Um, that, can you help us get these deadly rainbowed rings from around our planet away so that we can move back to our planet? Yeah, and they never... They never really say what the rainbow rings are made of or anything like that. It's just they're rainbow rings and they're bad. So we must destroy them. Dan, they're the rainbow rings of death. Oh, right, 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 right. Come on, get with the program. <laughs> rainbow rings, automatically death. Right, yeah, got it. it automatically means death. <laughs> this isn't just a double rainbow. This is the rainbow rings of death and yeah, so, you know, when you see the double rainbow, you're like, oh, what does this mean? When you see the rainbow rings of death, you just run away screaming. Yeah, so. it's a slightly less uplifting YouTube video results from that. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Completely different type of YouTube video. Just look it up. There's a lot of them. Um, <laughs> but uh, they finish talking to these guys, and they realize that there's a door at the end of the hall, and it's being guarded by two more Satan's robots. And... They decide, well, they should probably figure out what's behind this door. And so they go over to the door, and I love that one of the robots grabs one of their, well, their green shirts, but basically a red shirt. <laughs> and and it's like shaking him. And so they <laughs> ask one of the, the other men with them, uh, Mr. Denton, take out your canteen and throw the water at their feet. And then Spock throws his communicator and it electrifies <laughs> the robots. I had no idea that the communicators could do that. Yeah, that was a, that was kind of a new one on me. Um, I like that the, the uh, red shirt stand in gets away uh, from that huge fiery 
electrical explosion <laughs> unscathed somehow too. You know, that's that's pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. They do find that behind this door there's an extensive library of files which kind of explain the situation here and and basically it shows that this war was really hideous really really terrible and um they decide we need to confront justin and justin uh to tell them look we're not here to help you get your planet back just so you can start another war with yourself and and this was what was really interesting is the story starts to take on a very star trekky idea of the the fact that you know, do we interfere, do we not interfere um, kind of thing, which they don't discuss too much, but, you know, Kirk does interfere here, and his goal is to try and keep these people from going back to war with each other. Mm -hmm. And if that meant if he wasn't going to pull the rings of death away from the planet because that would keep these people from going to war, then he would do that. I thought that was pretty interesting, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, definitely some... uh, um very original series ideas being echoed here, you know, a taste of Armageddon, that kind of episodes like that, you know, where, where it feels like their job in Starfleet is more kind of to police the galaxy than we get later in Star Trek. And kind of that idea of peace is always preferable to war. So if he can prevent this planet from descending back into war, well, that's the, that's the option he would take. Yes, yes. It reminds me of a private little war Mm -hmm. or any of those kind of things where Kirk is going to put himself into this situation, Um, even if maybe he shouldn't, like it's not his place, and and make that call. And uh, I do, I think that that actually is, is, it is interesting. And again, it feels Star Trek-y, it feels like something that Kirk would do. Mm -hmm. And that's a really nice thing to kind of see here, so... And we would kind of move forward and Kirk confronts them and, you know, they say, look, we're not trying to go back to war. We just want, you know, our planet back so that we can survive as, as a species. And so back to the drafting board for Spock. <laughs> the Sorry, the space drafting board. Oh, 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 right. Oh, my bad. <laughs> well, they they try to use their magnetic generators um, and that are propelled downward at these rings on this planet and try to pull them away. And they're copper-filled rings that bend the rays as they hit it and, it, and the Enterprise doesn't have enough power. And so the Enterprise links with these two space stations and uses their magnetic pull as well to pull these rings, these rainbow rings of death, away. <laughs> Which we've now learned have copper in them. Um, yeah, yeah. Apparently, Which that's very terrible. deadly. It's yeah, it is very deadly. And so, as they pull them down, uh, Kirk decides he needs to beam back to the planet one more time, and they run some some tests. And there's no copper radiation, but he's picking up atomic radiation, and they find this mass cache of weapons that basically Justin and Justin. It sounds like a boot company, like. <laughs> You know, like you'd make boots with. Or the law firm of Justin and Justin. Yeah. Welcome to the law firm of Justin and Justin, where we only wear Justin and Justin boots. (laughs) Um, Have you been injured in a fiery phaser attack? (laughs) (laughs) Call the law firm of Justin and Justin. We'll get you your justice. (laughs) Justin Justice. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So 
As they've discovered these weapons, Justin and Justin realize that they have discovered them, and they send down two fighter jets to destroy Kirk to keep them from stopping them. And Spock is is able to tell them, look, if you guys don't behave, we are going to bring the Rainbow Rings of Death back and make you get back on your space stations. So you guys behave yourselves, <laughs> or we're going to come back. And... So then what was great too is that they cause an avalanche, destroy all of the weapons, and they leave galaxy saviors. I I just love that though, that it's it Spock is like a parent basically saying, Look, if you guys don't behave, I'm going to stop this ship. And if I stop this ship, it is not gonna be pretty. <laughs> exactly. And you know, as we all know, that's that's the strongest way to ensure, you know, moral behavior is to promise punishment. You know, <laughs> like it's kinda like you you guys aren't, you know, making peace or anything, but you know, if you try and destroy each other, we'll kill you, I guess, is the threat. <laughs> It works really for a five-year-old, but I'm not quite sure that it works for an entire civilization. Yeah. And I mean, I love that these guys have the technology to have space stations and spaceships, but, you know, Spock can just trick them with a, you know, kind of projection. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just awesome. It's just awesome. Well, it is a great issue, and, and it's really funny, but... Again, it is one of those things where it has those little pieces of Star Trek in it that we kind of will see kind of come to fruition, obviously, in the series, especially as it grows and then through the films, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. And yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Again, mm-hmm. we're seeing some really interesting work by people who have really no idea what Star Trek is other than some pictures. And some, um, and even now at this point, some technical terms. So, right. uh, the next issue is called "When Planets Collide," and it is a really interesting issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably the one that is, I mean, next to Rainbow Rings of Death, this one is just crazy out there. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I do have to say this first uh, first image, they really nailed the bridge there. Like it, I'm not seeing a lot different other than the big steering wheels and levers and knobs in the foreground. Other than that, this is, this is the bridge of the Enterprise. They're really uh, working on the look to make it closer to what we're used to. It is really interesting that this main page here that kind of opens up and they, what's so interesting is every issue opens up with a scene from what's happening further on in the comic. And then they kind of go back and get you to that point. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time and the only time that the Enterprise bridge looks like the Enterprise bridge, basically, that we're familiar with for the right. most part. But then what's funny is throughout the rest of this comic, <laughs> the bridge doesn't really look like that. Yeah, it's which kind is of just back so funny. To the, uh, back to the cramped control room of the previous Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like we're lost in space or something. Well, this is really interesting because they find these two planets that are hurling towards each other at incredible rates, and which this is where I think this is the most outlandish because there's absolutely no science whatsoever in <laughs> <Nope>. this issue. <laughs> um, it is just a crazy idea that two planets 
are hurling towards each other. Um, and they're trying to figure out, and, and they name them FP1 or Foreign Planet 1 and FP2, Foreign Planet 2. I love that they have these little things that they call, like, and then they'll tell you with a little asterisk what it means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's basically going back to even the planet Kelly Green, you know, like... Yes, yes. You know, automatically they're all going to know exactly what they mean when they say these acronyms, but, you know, they have to tell us what they mean, so... I, I, I don't know how FP1 automatically means Foreign Planet 1 to everyone else, but we at least yeah. know what it means. Yes, yes. Well, they they streak towards one of the planets, and they they say that it has no signs of life. There's not even a shrub on it, and they decide that they're going to beam down and figure out what's going on. When they get down to the planet, they get attacked by these buildings or some kind of drones, and it, it's... It's this great, weird, like, 20s, 30s spaceport look to it. It's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And they get pulled into bubbles. Like, literal bubbles that they can't get out of. And these aliens pull them in by these bubbles. So apparently they've been lassoed with a bubble maker. It looks like, I don't know if you're familiar with that... Uh, old television show The Prisoner with the the bubble would be chasing him at the oh, start yeah, of the episode. Yeah, yeah, I think I've seen pictures <laughs> of that online. That is hilarious. That really um, reminded me. This is yes. this really reminded me of that. Yes. Well, what's interesting is is that they are pulled through these bubbles and um, the aliens take them and they put them in these special seats where they seek the truth from them. Um, and it looks kind of like a torture seat. And Kirk, luckily, is, is well, they don't disarm them, because why would you do that? Um, you've got them on these seats. Of course, he can't reach his weapon, but he can. And he's able to get himself out. And this is what I love. <laughs> he says, we are space pioneers from the Starship Enterprise. And then he, then the little thought bubble says, the only way to prove ourselves, gain control, then convince them that we mean no harm. I've got to reach my phaser. <laughs> and so he reaches his phaser, and he's able to get out, and then, of course, free Spock and Scotty and um, they tell them what happened to their planet that there was a catastrophe that they've been living underground they actually have created a sun on their planet the planet Morty yeah so um, mm-hmm. the planet Morty I like it <laughs> um, he's a pretty nice guy actually um, yeah I, I and, better than numero uno I guess I don't know <laughs> exactly exactly and then they take them down under the surface where they use the that fake sun to grow the food for this planet because they all have to live underground now. Kirk says, well, we're really here because there's a another planet hurtling towards your planet and we didn't know anybody was here, so we just came to investigate. Um, so maybe we can keep that other planet from crashing into your planet and you guys can live. And so, of course, they travel to the other planet and they realize that this planet has such an iron core content to its mountainous ranges that that's what's pulling this unknown planet towards this other unknown planet. Mm -hmm. And so it's this magnetic force in space okay yeah i'm i mean yeah i don't know why it's not 
pulling the Enterprise apart. I guess there's nothing nothing magnetic on the Enterprise. Uh, no, there isn't. Although they do have a magnetic asteroid that comes through the ship, which apparently no big deal to just have things <laughs> in space puncture your spaceship. No problem. Yeah, no. That's... Um, I mean, we don't even know if they have shields. Yeah. But, mm. it, uh, yeah, I mean, you literally, which happens, can go through an asteroid belt and have asteroids pummel your ship and pierce the hole and it's fine don't oh, worry man. about it we'll be yeah <laughs> don't worry about it also I, I i just have to say in the last issue they didn't they use an apparatus to generate a huge magnetic field so mm-hmm. if they have yeah. an apparatus to do that wouldn't that be attracted i don't dan shh okay can't sorry think about those things right. yeah you there's no continuity here so <laughs> Even You're, less than the original series. That's amazing. Yeah, exactly. This is even more of an anthology, okay? <laughs> well, um, Spock tries to find a way to understand exactly what kind of metal uh, and, and magnetis, magnetic force is really containing this asteroid, this tiny little asteroid that they have. And he's he's unable to really find any answers. And so they just beam down to this planet and they are going to blow this planet up. They're going to try and blow up its mountain ranges so that it will stop hurling towards the other planet that they know is inhabited. And this planet, they feel, is completely uninhabited, so they have no problems saying, we can sacrifice this planet here where nobody lives for the good of this other planet, which, again, very Star Trek-y. You know, their idea, they're just out there basically becoming good Samaritans at mm. this point. <laughs> and... So they they start planting charges all over the place, and then there is the most crazy and fun. Spock sees out of the corner of his eye some movement, and he goes to investigate. And I love, (laughs) I love, I love, I love the scene of Spock being pulled into this, like, cave. Mm -hmm. And it it is just hysterical. (laughs) And then... Spot goes on a slide ride. <laughs> but I love I love his his exclamation. Yuck! Yes! <laughs> Yuck! It's awesome. It's, uh, it's just so awesome. Oh. Well, Spock finds his way down where this alien civilization also lives underground. So I, I feel like maybe they should have thought about this. Okay, if that other alien civilization lives underground, maybe this one does too. You think you'd at least check. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> you would think so. So, um, they realize that uh, these aliens here, you can't destroy the mountains above because they use those mountains as power to generate their society underground. And so Spock and, and Kirk and the rest of the gang, they beam back to the Enterprise to try and find a way to save both of these planets. And, um, well, Spock comes up with a really interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a uh, yeah, kind of an interesting plan. Um I I I found it very interesting that their kind of solution isn't a permanent one as they mention later, which is kind of cool. It's it's like a uh, a bit of a stopgap kind of thing. Um which is a little interesting. Maybe we could revisit this story later. Yeah, you probably could revisit this story. I think if what's you really most interesting. <laughs> yeah, you could. And what's most interesting? So there is some sort. There's a supernova that happened, and it created this super dense asteroid, basically. And so, 
Spock says, well, if we could pull this asteroid and put it between the other two planets, then it will repel both of the planets basically like a magnet on either side Mm -hmm. and keep them from crashing into one another. With no effects on their ecosystem or or anything else like that at all. None whatsoever. Of course. No. Uh, And so (laughs) as Spock makes the calculations on his notepad, Kirk is going to go downstairs with Scotty and create the electronic tow rope so that they can pull this asteroid back to these other planets. And I love this description. Inside the largest, most complex spacecraft in the universe, hundreds of highly trained minds concentrate on one problem at hand. Operation Space Tow. <laughs> I that I love that. Hysterical. And it's kind of funny when they say, you know, largest most complex spacecraft and holding hundreds of highly trained minds and then they show this cutaway and I think you could fit probably about 50 people in the enterprise based on uh the what is it? Let me see. 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 decks tall at the most by the looks of it. Um yeah, I, I don't know how you could fit hundreds of highly trained minds in there, but uh, they've done it. Somehow. I don't. I don't know. It's hilarious. I love that the Enterprise zips around this uh, this huge magnetic asteroid thing, just like the speeders in Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> and pulls this asteroid with them and puts it between the two planets. This is where they run into that ginormous meteor storm that just starts ripping the Enterprise apart with meteors, which just, again, it's hysterical. I mean, literal meteors falling into the bridge (laughs) as if there's nothing really wrong. Yeah, just punching, you know, holes in the ship like it's tinfoil, you know. Yeah. Oh, man, glad we got through that just fine. It is hysterical, (laughs) yeah. Well, luckily they were able to put this space particle, cut it loose, and it is able to keep these planets apart. Spock and Kirk are like, do you think anybody survived? And I love that Spock says, you know, the uh, the shock was probably quite noticeable. It was like a moderate earthquake. You know, that that's yeah. all that would have happened. But luckily they're they're below ground. I I think they're probably fine. Uh and then of course I love this. It's like a classic uh you know, Star Trek ending where <laughs> we solved the problem precisely my thinking captain as they toast themselves with a drink it's just <laughs> it's just lovingly hysterical that that's how this ends well, so and i also love like spock says i'm quite certain they survived and oh okay and they toast and they fly off and yeah. nobody's gonna bother to go down and check maybe they just killed everybody on both of these too planets. much trouble we got a schedule to keep uh we got to get to Alpha Tentari in uh, the next lunar minute, so we just don't have time yeah. to stick around. I'm sure they're fine, yeah. though. It's yeah, it's hysterical. <laughs> um, well, going through these these three issues and just kind of wrapping it up, Dan, what would you kind of rate? You know, the Gold Key comics that we read today. Well, <clears throat> as the last time when we did the first three issues, it felt like there was kind of a steady increase in quality of the stories. That last story of those first three, I thought was really great. And then we come to these three and, you know, I'm enjoying them. I'm, I'm, the artwork is fantastical and fun and the stories are imaginative 
uh, I still get a kick out of the two Justins and their planet Numero yes. Uno. I just, yes. that kills me. Like Justin? Justin. <laughs> like, I've read that a few times now, and it's it's amusing. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Um, as far as the quality of the stories, I felt like it took a bit of a, a downward turn uh, with these last three. Uh, however, like I say, I'm enjoying these. It's a fun kind of glimpse into the Star Trek that could have been, and in a lot of ways, thankfully, wasn't. See, again, I'm I'm running into that problem. Giving it a rating is very difficult because by what criteria am I rating it? Am I comparing it to the rest of Star Trek? Am I comparing it to, you know, other pulp science fiction, that kind of thing? Uh, so I think just to be fair, I'm going to have to judge it based on enjoyability. And is this fun to read? Am I entertained by it? Am I enjoying the stories? And for the most part, I am. Uh, I think enough so to give it uh, 3.5 meteors crashing through the bridge with no harm done uh, out of five. That's a great rating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, Dan, I'm with you. I, I think that um, if I, I, I just rate these on my enjoyability of, of the issues and, and how, I mean, if they say laughter is the best medicine, then this is great medicine. <laughs> and so I'd give this, you know, uh, two Justins, Justin, Justin, uh, as a rating <laughs> because I think that it's fantastic and it really does show it, it does a great job of kind of showing us the difference of, of what Star Trek was and what it could have been again without the influence of, of the type of science fiction show that it became, mm-hmm. that it was one that was, um, trying to anticipate what the future was really going to be like in the same way Jules Verne did and not just be a space pulp adventure series like a Captain Proton. And I I love here that, especially in these issues, even though they're goofy and silly, we can kind of see some bits and pieces of the Star Trek that we know and that would kind of play itself out in the show in certain episodes. And so, yeah, this is... A heck of a lot of fun, and um, I recommend them highly to anyone. Well, Matthew, I think we both really enjoyed uh, the uh, first volume of the Gold Key Comics there. We both gave it a fairly high rating. Uh, I thought it was a great discussion, personally, and (laughs) I have to admit, as far as laughs per minute go, uh, reading through this has been really fun. Well, (laughs) what's great is that I can't wait now to actually read volume two and volume three. Mm -hmm. That's that's how much I enjoyed reading these, how fun I thought it was. And so, yes, fans, if if you haven't, go out, get these, you know, download them on your iPad through, um, you know, one of the the comics apps like Comixology because it really is fantastic. And the artwork looks great, especially on a a Retina iPad or even I've seen the books at, at Barnes and Noble and, and, and gotten to kind of look through, and the artwork just looks fantastic. They're well presented, and I think it just makes it a lot of fun. But guys, of course, Gold Key Comics and Rainbows of Death aren't the only thing that we've been talking about this week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. It's an 
not an overstatement, and you had said in your introduction that without without him and his hand guiding all of this, then then it's unlikely that two would have been what it was. And if it had not been successful, then it, it you know it probably would have meant the end of Star Trek at that point. Earl Grey. Like I'm expecting Ricardo Martavon to like walk around the corner and be like, Captain Picard, welcome. This is Rise of Five. The shuttlecraft. The shuttlecraft. The orb. Curzon is involved with the Kittimer yep. Accords. Spock is at Kittimer when those are being talked about. So you would think they would have run into each other. They probably at least. hung out in the bar together. To the journey! One guy's like, why don't we just write better stories for Wesley? And then the lead writer's like, you out! The Ready Room. The movie series would not have relaunched and and become what it was if not for the amazing bounce of the Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan was to Star Trek the same thing that uh, the Best of Both Worlds was to Next Generation. Commentary, Trek stars. It's also the end of a character and a thing that is really about how uh, death is just a part of life. And that while there's an end, it doesn't mean that it's the end. Literary treks. Well, I've always liked the, uh, I like that episode for, I mean, it's one of the most derided of the of the original series episodes, but yet I always, it has a place in my heart for some reason. I've always enjoyed watching mm-hmm. it over. So um, I wanted to do something with those guys, the Scalbians. The 602 Club. Like, I, I could kind of dismiss droids in distress and fight or flight and everything like that and i just kind of watching in the background but all of a sudden i started catching myself like stopping working and just focusing on watching and uh, and so it just got better and better and better and i think i was hooked by episode four breaking ranks that's when i was like okay i like this show this is good warp five in the history of axanar Alec Peters and Christian Gossett wrote a section of the history dealing with the Arcanus campaign. And in the Arcanus campaign, a majority of Starfleet ships were destroyed. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows, find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe, and of course beyond. And you know you're going to find us wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Apple users and other uh, users of, of things out there. Um, that you get your podcast from. Give us a star rating and review wherever you do that. Um, if you have a passion for just all things Star Trek and what we do here, what we bring to you each week, we'd love to have you help us have other fans find that. So giving us star ratings and reviews or an Apple hitting that subscribe button, all of those things make it easier for fans to see us and find us when they search in iTunes or any of the other podcast mediums. And of course, you guys know you can find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, stream and grab that MP3 file from our website and also grab the RSS link there as well. If you love what we do here and you want to help keep those shows coming to you each week, you can go to patreon.com slash trekfm to find out how you can support the show. We are a listener-supported network, and we really do need your help to keep these shows coming to you each week. And so just go to patreon.com slash trekfm. You'll find the current goals, the milestone contribution levels we have. There's some great perks out there for you. We really do appreciate all of your support, and we hope that you'll join our team. 
If you'd like to contact us, you can do that at trek.fm slash contact. You could leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you guys like that. Go to the sidebar and show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And of course, one of the best places to, to talk to us these days is the Babel Conference. Just search B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook or go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion in the menu bar. And of course, you can go to the Goodreads group, which we have our bookshelves there with our previously covered books as well as currently reading sections so you kind of know what's coming up for future shows. Plus, also we have great conversation about all the things we're covering, whether it's books or comics as well. We'd love to thank our associate producers, Will Wynn and Kenneth Tripp, for their support. Of course, Will Wynn is at Will underscore Wynn, and he's on the Babel Conference. Also the associate producer of The Orb and Earl Grey. And in fact, you'll find him a lot on Warp 5. And Ken Tripp, you will definitely find him and our Babel Conference as well. Now, Dan, when you're not trying to get away from a bunch of Satan's robots, where can we find you? Oh, man, those Satan's robots, they're pretty scary stuff. Uh, Bad news, man. (laughs) But when I'm able to get away from them, uh, you can find me online. Uh, I have a website where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new, and that's just at www.treklet.com. I'm on Twitter, at Treklet Reviews, and my personal Twitter feed, at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And uh, I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash treklitreviews. And Matthew, when you're not traveling the galaxy trying to perfect your your mastery of the interplanetary universal language of Esperanta, where can we find you? Man, I just can't get down that syntax. It's so tough. Um, But of course, you can find me on Twitter. I I just use English there, Uh, (laughs) Esperanta. Is, is not a supported language on Twitter yet. And you'll find me at MattRushing02. You'll also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones where we talk about Deep Space Nine exclusively. And of course, I also do The 602 Club, which is just a place for us to gather and talk all things geeky. I mean, we have talked some amazing things recently, whether it's Star Wars um, with all the major announcements we've had about Star Wars. And of course, we've had daredevil and just amazing things going on over there so check out that show and of course you also find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com well y'all thank you so much for joining us and until next time live long and read on you call that light reading to each his own number one